FNR, Football Nation Radio. Here comes the money. Oh, they're going to win up with less than 30 seconds to play. Football Bosses with Marco Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR Football Nation Radio. Welcome to Football Bosses on FNR. Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata. Very important week for our sport. It's uh, it's been a big few weeks. Uh, Tony, welcome. Uh, may the force be with you, uh, Michael. We're getting into the Star Wars round, which is coming up. Well. You now you get me started. <laughs> well, you you're uh, involved in marketing your clubs uh, over the years at Sydney FC and Wellington. This is, look, we'll just start right off the top. Where did this come from? No idea. I, you, if you, you can't see me, I'm shaking my head at this. <laughs> um, but um, I don't know. I mean, I saw it come out in the uh, social media over the last few days, and um, but I love Star Wars, but. I just can't see this. But anyway, they're trying something which is more than what has been happening. I think the FFA's view is that uh, we need to try and attract people who wouldn't normally come to our games. But Ain't choosing happen. choosing Star Wars to promote it, how is that going to attract people to your game? I don't know. Is anyone going to go dressed as um, R2-D2 or C-3PO or Chewbacca? Or, uh, I can honestly R2. say that I'm probably one of the only blokes of my age who has never watched one minute of a Star Wars oh, movie. Michael, you have to watch it. <laughs> this, mate. So they're not attracting me to the game this weekend. Well, you'll be there, though, anyhow. I'll be there anyway. But um, Curious yeah. decision by uh, the powers that be um, to promote the game in this way, but we had Grigo Rourke on a few weeks ago on this program, and he said that they were going to wait until uh, this time of the year to start promoting it as uh, summer progresses and as we get closer to Christmas. Uh, if this is the first big marketing bang they've got, they're in trouble. Yeah, well, you've got Big Bash starting as well. And, um, you know, I, I love the A-League. and you know, It's been a big part of my life. But, uh, you know, the numbers on the weekend were uh, were terrible. You know, with Sydney, 10,044 was the biggest crowd. I think the average crowd was under 8,000. Uh, TV numbers were, were low. Um, I think, uh, although 1HD did okay, I think it was about 100, nearly 100 uh, for the... Um, Sydney game and you know for Sydney to track 10,000 on a Saturday night and Saturday night's the best night um, to get get people um, yeah something's something's amiss well what's amiss is they're not promoting the sport at all and uh, we're playing in in front of uh, empty stadiums uh, half empty stadiums a lot of the time just because of that Um, in your experience what needs to happen from this point on to inject something into this season well we need to get tomorrow over and done with you know, the EGM has been a hold-up for everything and, you know, you had Grego Rourke a few weeks ago saying that everything's basically on hold until they sort this mess out and um, needs to be sorted and then the focus back on, on football and generating, um, you know, the interest uh, interest level because at the moment it's uh, it's stale and people that love the game are saying that as well and it's, uh, it's not good. Get the sense that some of the players are even feeling that way as well. Yeah, we only ran what round eight yeah. just finished. Um, yeah, so we need to uh, need to sort out tomorrow, and then uh, hopefully it's uh, all systems go. And when you think about marketing and, and in your experience, uh, the, the numbers this year are low. How how do they? Um, if you were sitting at uh, FFA headquarters as the CEO, what would the first thing uh, you'd be doing in in order to start promote the game? Uh, what what worked for you at Sydney FC? Um, look, it's not it's not easy, but I think. 
I think it needs to start. You can't just turn the tap on. It, you know, last year we had, uh, whether you liked it or not, you know, we had Yoshi and you've got to have a team and that generated a lot of interest pre-season. You know, the season started off with 60-odd thousand at uh, ANZ against um, the Wanderers and Sydney FC, which I think was 4-0 to Sydney FC that day. Um, three, you think? I, I know, you know it. Throw that in. You probably name so, all the goal scorers and what time they scored. I can. And um, yeah, that started the whole season with a bit of a bang, and it generated interest, and people were talking about it. Wow, a soft launch—it just doesn't work. You know, you've got to spend up, go big, start. Then the big bash comes in, and you're going to get swamped. Just whether you like it or not, you will get swamped. And then go hard towards the back end of the season when the finals are coming up, because that'll generate interest. I think starting the way now, it's. Uh, uh, it's it's a wrong uh, wrong tactic. There's been a lot of uh, talk around TV and TV times and, and kickoff times around seven o'clock. We will get Murray Shaw, who's the executive producer of Fox Sports Football, on the show in the coming weeks. He's he's uh, happy to come on. But um, the criticism around the 7 o'clock game is an interesting one. There was a lot of complaints in the previous year about uh, playing in the heat. There was a f- fixture at 5 o'clock on a Sunday, and often uh, that fixture was played in sweltering conditions. 5 o'clock is not a great time in the middle of summer. But uh, on the on the counter side, this year we've seen the 7 o'clock kick off, and uh, a lot of uh, feedback has been that from the families going to the game that it's too late that uh, kids have to go to school the next day and, and it's a too late a kickoff time for a school night. Well that's like that's Sunday but most kickoffs are 7.50 which is too late. You know we raised this probably last year with the FFA in the, at our CEO meetings that 7.50 was too late. A 7.36 kickoff which they say 7.30 so it's not 7.50 it's actually 7.56 you know nearly 8 o'clock. So we felt that a 7.30 kick-off, you know, that half hour, you can get the kids home a little bit early on a Saturday night, um, you know, because, okay, it's not a school day the next day, but there's still by the time you get home, etc. nearly at 11, 11.30, depends on where you live. But, um, you know, Fox are really insistent on having that uh, 7.50. So we'll ask Murray as, as to why they feel that uh, 7.56 kick-off is, uh, is right for them. And uh, from a Sunday point of view, I actually think the Sunday 7 o'clock works well. I think, uh, you know, the, obviously Fox has a, a huge interest in, in, in the game in, in terms of the money that they've put in uh, for broadcasting rights. And uh, if it means a couple of thousand less in the stadium but a lot more watching on TV, that's their end game. So there needs to be some middle ground. And if you notice the, the weekend, game that kickoff Sunday night I think it was Adelaide and uh, yeah, just under it was nine. The best, it was the best yeah it was the best um, TV audience yeah and it was a great cracking game as well but I think uh, just under 9,000 there at Cooper Stadium which, yeah. which in Cooper Stadium is is a nice atmosphere uh, but I'm sure they'll get more on Friday night uh, when they play What's against the sellout, Sydney apparently? FC that, that's what uh, Greg Griffin's saying it, um, you know they'll get 16,000 which is uh, be fantastic which is brilliant the first time we've had uh, a capacity stadium this season I reckon yeah well I think so. It would be uh, would be awesome. Yep, fantastic. Plenty to come up on the show. We're going to speak, Tony, to the head of the PFA, uh, Johnny Didelitza, who I know uh, is uh, a frequent uh, guest on this radio station, but uh, he's got... Uh, a very, very deep knowledge of what's going on at the moment with uh, with the AGM, and uh, it would be fascinating to hear him have a chat about it all. Yeah, looking forward to it. All right, that coming up soon. You're listening to the Football Bosses here on FNR. FNR, Football Nation Radio. Here comes the money. Oh, they're going to win it with less than 30 seconds to play. Four bosses with Marcus Zapponi 
and Tony Pinata on FNR Football Nation Radio. Welcome back to Football Bosses on FNR. Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata with you. We bring you all the best from the bosses of our sport, and we've got the bosses of the Players Union with us now. Johnny Didalitza, thanks for joining us. Pleasure, guys. Well, uh, we know it's a huge week for the sport in this country, and uh, the AGM and the EGM of the FFA uh, occurring. Why have we got to this point where we're faced by the fact that FIFA could potentially take over the running of the sport in this country? It seems extraordinary that uh, we're uh, 24 hours out and we still have no idea uh, what the more likely outcome is. Yeah, that's probably um, accurate, uh, Zappers. We don't really have a lot of visibility about what may happen in the next 24, 48 hours and then what that precipitates beyond that. Um, the actual process itself was triggered you know, some time ago by the AFC and FIFA um, and that's from the PFA's perspective we were invited uh, specifically by FIFA to become involved in expanding the Congress um, and what in real terms expanding the Congress means is ensuring that there's more uh, voices among the membership of FFA as a company. So they move from having um, 90% of the voting rights in the states and 10% in the A-League clubs to a more balanced voice and then over time um, a membership that's more reflective of all the different people within Within football, so the FFA, the Congress itself, the the FFA Congress is uh, is not uh, specific to Australia. Obviously, the, the the there is a Congress of at every FIFA member nation, uh, and and that represents uh, all different stakeholders uh, in the game. And and that role of that Congress is to elect the National Federation's board and hold it accountable. It, it, and, and at the moment, we we don't have. Uh, a process which the clubs and the other stakeholders are happy with. Yeah, that, that's correct. Uh, I think um, one of the deficiencies identified by FIFA was the lack of diversity amongst or, or breadth across the stakeholders, where it was effectively only the state federations with a small voice to the clubs. That was one point. Um, it wasn't this notion of a representative democracy which is contained within the FIFA statute under the new uh, re- revised, reformed uh, corporate structure there. So um, by representative democracy, they speak about not one stakeholder group having the ability to oppress or run the game by appointing the board in isolation of the others. So in an ideal scenario, the state federations or the clubs or the players or the referees, they would have to work with other stakeholders in order to appoint a board. It can't be just for one stakeholder to make those decisions in isolation of others. And that's what we have now, and that's one of the areas that FIFA's um, seeking to have changed. And another point is uh, gender equality is another thread that FIFA wishes to embed in the statutes of and Congress of uh, every national association in the world. 
John, are you um, you attending the EGM tomorrow? Yes, yes. Uh, we, we've been invited. Whilst we're not a member at the moment, so we have no statutory rights or or corporate rights under corporate law to attend. Uh, our FFA has extended an invitation for us to attend the meeting, given we've been identified by FIFA as a stakeholder and taken part in some of the discussions. So, so tomorrow the vote is for. A nine four one one one. There's been another one thrown in in the last couple of months. Is that right? Yeah, because there's two female votes now. There's um, uh, women's football, and then there's women's football community. Is that the extra one? Yeah, what they've created um, leading into this AGM was two additional votes um, that were to be allocated towards women's football. One would be exercised effectively. Um, collectively by the member federations, so the states, and the other vote would be um, a, I suppose, a joint group comprising the, the A-League clubs and the players. Um, and you guys know the history of the way the players and the clubs have worked over time. <laughs> getting into group, getting into group, anything is always hard. So um, the whole mechanism to try to agree on one person to represent both of their interests is, is probably uh, is probably problematic. And when we look at um, look at the structure, uh, I spoke to to Greg Griffin yesterday, who's uh, been one of the more vocal uh, club chairmen. Uh, he said he received a letter from Stephen Lowy yesterday, saying that uh, they will progress as uh, planned, and uh, no compromise would be given. Is, is that your understanding? Have you had any uh, communication with the chairman or anyone else yeah, from the FFA? Well, that, that communication has been shared. With, with all the people involved in this process and that's my own, that's what was represented in that correspondence um, ultimately it's for the members though to put forward whichever resolutions they might like to um, so the board can't speak in absolute terms because the board is a creation of the members so ultimately it's for the members to be able to determine what the board should and shouldn't be doing in terms of resolutions and that's probably part of the frustration that Greg speaks to is um, the members not having an effective voice in shaping what the board looks like. So should uh, Stephen Lowy uh, follow through with, with uh, what he says in that communication, what, what then is the, the most likely outcome? Sorry, can you repeat that? If he, if he follows through with the what he's communicated to, to the club oh, okay, and other yeah. stakeholders what's what's the most likely outcome because there is talk of course that New South Wales will will, will break away and, and, and will vote uh, separately uh, or away from the other federations and Victoria as well so should they do that is, is that where we reach uh, uh, the, the possibility of change yeah, the, the risk of p- p- proceeding with a resolution that doesn't have the support of enough members is that we won't have a solution to take to FIFA when the Member Association Committee meets next week. So, as you guys are probably aware, um, in order for the Constitution to be changed, which is needed in order to change the voting structures, you need um, to meet the threshold for a special resolution. And as you guys know, or most people involved in companies would know, that's 75%. So in an SFA context, they need eight votes out of ten in order to 
move through the changes they're hoping for. So if you do simple mathematics, um, you already know that the clubs um, have rejected it, as per Greg's comments. Um, if New South Wales and, for example, Victoria or one other state also rejected that position, then SSA would be unsuccessful in moving their regular uh, their um, resolution through, and as such, they have nothing to ta- nothing to take for, for FIFA except for um, the existing nine one zero structure they have at the moment. So, how that would then um, evolve is anybody's guess. Normalisation committee will come in. Yeah, potentially that's one of the options. There was some uh, speculation yesterday, John, which uh, I, I'm not—I uh, don't—I don't believe necessarily that, but uh, that the Association of uh, Football Clubs had uh, uh, been reported to have said that they uh, have a compromise deal on the table from the FFA, and uh, the FFA would announce before the meeting that a second division will be established uh, by 2020. Is that something that you're aware of? Uh, no. Is that something that the, the PFA would support? The the what? The establishment of a... Of a second division, but, if if the FFA came out now and, and it, before the AGM? Oh, look, yeah, look, it's... it's you, know, it's, um, uh, you know, it's a big style of critical one, a critical one, a major strategic decision and having it as part of horse trading hmm. to get a political solution through wouldn't be good practice in my view. I mean, for us, they're very separate issues. Um, what the first issue is to build a very strong decision-making model so that the best possible decisions are made and then that group can turn its mind to what's in the best policy interest of the sport. So to conflate expansion of the A-League, um, establishing a second tier, getting rid of the salary cap, you know, to, to conflate those issues with what the way a governance structure needs to look is very dangerous and imprudent. And it's really important that we focus on what is the best decision-making model for Australian football. And then those people can discuss what is in the best interest, best policy interest of the sport. You know, so imagine the PFA saying to the FFA, well, we'll support your resolution, but you need to get rid of the salary cap. You know, it's a similar type of dynamic. It's not something we, we think is the right thing for the sport, and nor should a second TRB be hitched to any type of political compromise its reach for their own governance. Yeah, I agree, um, John. They're, they're all separate issues that need to be dealt after after tomorrow because it's all about growing the growing the game. And uh, as you know, you know everything's you know been focused on on the EGM tomorrow, and everything's sort of um, stopped to a standstill. To be honest, in, in the whole yeah, game. it has. It's been um, excruciatingly um, long in its duration and excruciatingly. Um, repetitious in its dialogue. So I've often I've compared it to, you know, I'm a big fan of the movie Twelve Angry Men and a, and a, a big fan of Bill Murray in Groundhog Day. So it's a bit like Twelve Angry Men meets Groundhog Day. We're going around and around. And we're, we're sitting around a table talking for hours, and we wake up in the morning and nothing's been done. Um, so as you said, Tony, there's so many, so many important policy decisions that need to be made around youth development, around the second tier around A-League expansion, around how we continue to grow women's football, um, development of infrastructure, and these are all being treated as secondary issues because uh, we can't settle this governance debate. 
and it can get quite frustrating. Well, the, the sad thing is, John, if uh, if it goes uh, you know according to plan, the vote won't get up tomorrow, and we're back to square one, Groundhog Day. Yeah, that's and that's the fear, and that we just we continue to expend all this energy seeking a solution, but the reality is, um, I think we know there won't be an e- there won't be an easy solution, and we end up having to start again. And, and the secondary problem to this is if we can't have a genuine meeting of the minds from the, the core stakeholders, it then becomes managing those relationships longer term. That becomes problematic. You know, ideally, we'd be able to settle on this governance structure, and then there's enough trust developed between the parties to be able to make these important policy decisions effectively. But what this process may be doing is actually corroding those relationships even further and preventing some of the, the key steps the game is meant to take, which is, and you guys would agree with this, connecting grassroots football to the A-League. You know, connecting the A-League to the national team setup. So they're all really important pillars of the sport and they're almost operating independently of one another at the moment, or certainly not operating with a unity of purpose. There's some of the issues we'd love to discuss with you uh, in a little bit more detail uh, after the break. But before we do that, John... Uh, what do you see as the, the most likely outcome this week? Oh, look, I'd, you know, where there's life, there's hope. So I think it's important that people are open to exploring solutions that get people on the same page in an effective way. Um, given it's taken, given after 18 months, we haven't really moved that too far forward. Uh, I don't anticipate it changing the next 24 hours. But, you know, from the players' perspective, we've been very open to ensuring that we're a productive and constructive party within this process. Uh, we're not currently a member, so we don't have a vote. We're very much waiting on uh, the way the member federations and the clubs and the directors of FFA guide this process, and then you know, our membership will make a call about whether or not they opt to join the world structures this or not. John, thanks for joining us. Uh, um, you, I think you, you're happy to hang on, so we'll, uh, we'll continue talking to the head of the... PFA. After this short break, you're listening to Football Bosses here on FNR. FNR, Football Nation Radio. Here comes the money. Oh, they're going up with less than 30 seconds to play. Extraordinary change at the new Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR, Football Nation Radio. Welcome back to the Football Bosses here on FNR. Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata with you, and we're joined by the head of the PFA, Johnny Didalitza. We thank you for your time, John, and uh, we want to just chat to you about uh, just some more broader strategic uh, issues that, that the PFA is working on. And uh, you, you spoke earlier about uh, the the women's game, and, and it's, it's it's part of the game, I think, which. If we're looking at positives at the moment, uh, Socceroos aside, we've made the World Cup, which has been sensational. But what the women's uh, team has done has uh, had a really positive halo effect uh, on our sport. And you've been working really hard with with the women's game over the last 12 months to to ensure that they have a a better deal at the table, which which you achieved a few months ago. Yeah, it's it's incredible um, what they're doing. And I think if you look, if you look, you can look back and look forward on this and looking forward it would be a real shame if the governance process we're going through um, in any way impacts on the momentum that the Matildas have built up 
you know, if it puts the handbrakes on more games or if it, you know, results in a suspension and, you know, at the other extreme, um, that'd be a real disappointment. So I think one thing, you know, when, when these guys step into a room tomorrow, they need to have this in mind, that there are real lives whose careers are put at stake when you don't administer the game for everybody. You know, so I think that's an important point. Um, the other point, the other part of it is the girls, to get to this point now, I, I'm a very strong advocate of the fact that this has been done by a lot of wonderful female footballers who have made huge sacrifices to commit to the sport. So the work of ladies like Cheryl Salisbury and Kate Gill, and they, they played for a, a generation you know, without pay, without support. Um, uh, I shouldn't say without support. There were always some wonderful coaches by their side and, and support staff. But without the, the support of a full-time um, employment structure, you know, they had to work in retail and in coffee shops just to stay involved in the game. And a lot of those sacrifices and a lot of that commitment has now rubbed off in this new generation of players. You know, and it's fantastic when you see Cheryl Salisbury's last cap as a Matilda. You see a young Sam Kerr in that photo and a young Caitlin Ford, I think. You know, and, and Lisa Devana. And, and they've been able to take that mythology and that sense of sacrifice and that noble commitment to the sport um, into this current era. So I think we're at a very special period now for women's football. And you, know, you guys know as well as I do, it's such a great opportunity for the game. Yeah, it's it's magnificent to see uh, what they're doing and uh, the growth of the W League and uh, has has been great over the years and uh, it's it's a slow burn but there are more games broadcast now on television. The crowds are, are healthy and uh, people are genuinely uh, interested in in going along to watch a, a standalone W League game. I was in Adelaide a few weeks ago and uh, Sam Kerr was was due to travel to to Adelaide to to play for Perth and there was huge disappointment when when she wasn't there. You know she has great pulling power, but you know that game in itself probably had about a thousand people there and uh, it was a great atmosphere at uh, at Martin Sports Complex. So they're certainly uh, a great brand now and uh, we need to continue continue to develop it. Yeah, they're a wonderful brand, but they also, they, uh, in terms of what their value proposition is, it's also quite exciting. And often the criticism you hear leveled at current professional sport is it's quite commercial, the players are quite distant. The Matildas are exactly the opposite. Uh, well, women's football generally is so closely connected to the grassroots. Um, they're not out of reach. They're actually organically connected to, you know, every part of the sport. So they're really a, a wonderful asset that we can really invest in. Yeah, I still. Um, I went to the game last week against China. At uh, you know, it was over ten thousand people, and you know, some were disappointed with the crowd. I thought it was a great for a Tuesday night to get that level. And some A League games didn't even attract that much over the weekend. Uh, and, uh, it's a great crowd. And it was a very, very good half, sorry, to cut, sorry to cut across you there. Two and a half years ago, I went to watch the Matildas playing Ballarat on the Saturday afternoon in front of fifteen hundred people against New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this week alone we've had over 10,000 in Melbourne and 6,500 in Geelong. So you can poo through that in isolation, but if you actually see the progression made, it's wonderful and there's no reason not to think it's not going to continually grow. Yeah, and we saw the um, the sellouts in um, you know when they played Brazil in, in Newcastle as yeah. well. It was amazing yeah. crowds. And and you're right, John. I mean, they you know they stay after the game and they they take photos and sign shirts and they're they're amazing. Um, and um, you know they deserve everything they they get because it's been a, a, a long struggle. And thanks to the efforts of um, yourself and your organisation uh, together with with the players, um, you know they they've now sort of. Um, 
you know, getting to the level they should be at. The next one is uh, yeah. get the USA here. That's uh, that's the, yeah. the next one. Well, why not? Hey, why, here's an idea for you. Why not in May when we have our annual farewell match, we have a double header. Yeah. We have a set Saturday night. Australia versus USA in the men and on Sunday afternoon have Australia versus USA in the women. Well, the USA men have got nothing. <laughs> 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 yeah, but we'll, we'll, we'll beat them and get some confidence. Yeah, exactly. It's a great idea. We'll start a campaign. <laughs> hey, um, I was going to ask you, um, John, um, oh, well, by the way, um, may the force be with you, John. Are you, are you a Star Wars fan? <laughs> I'm actually more of a Rocky fan. If I'm looking at my 70s and 80s movie franchises, yeah, I, I'll probably sit more in the Rocky camp. Um, but look, that said, obviously, you know, like most guys who grew up with Star Wars, I'm a keen observer of, you know, the Jedi's and all the rest of them. Well, um, I wonder if Darth Vader will be there tomorrow at the EGM, John. Let us know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, well, we've got the we've got the Star Wars round coming up, and um, who knows? Maybe after that, we can push for a Rocky round. That would be interesting. Yeah. Well, I think Tony, as you've, you've observed previously, I think last weekend. Was Rocky Round with the volume of red cars and yeah six and the light that we saw amazing. Talk to us about the the, the view of the PFA on on you know the way that um, the the A League season has played out so far. You know there's there's a lot of debate around um, the crowds and the television numbers and uh, and also the interest in the game in, in general. Do you feel like it's been a, a disappointing start to the season? No, look, I don't necessarily subscribe to that. I think there's always you know, ebbs and flows in any season, and often seasons will start slowly before the narratives really emerge. So uh, I think we have we tend to have this debate every year. The numbers are a bit down, and I don't know if they're hugely down. Zappers, you might be able to correct me on on that. Um, and if if they are, you hope we can do something to change that. But there's been a couple of really bright spots from my perspective, and that's seeing the Newcastle Jets, for example, show that you can with the right investment and with an owner who's going to back the coach, actually take steps forward as a club. You know, they're playing great football, they've got good depth in their squad for the first time in a while, they've got some real quality in their lineup, and now they're sitting second. Um, Central Coast Mariners have shown the value of hiring an Australian coach who believes in young talent and wants to play a certain way of football, and they're doing exceptionally well too. So I think, you know, maybe some of the, the you know, historically bigger clubs aren't faring as well as normally. Maybe that drags down the overall attendances and the overall overall interest. But if we're looking for stories and bright spots, um, that can really provide some compelling narratives this season. Maybe it's the Newcastles and the, the fact that Newcastle Mariners, for the first time in a while, are genuinely competitive and could genuinely challenge um, in the last couple of weeks of the season. Yeah, and we should uh, give the Mariners a pat on the back. Uh, I've seen that they're promoting their game on the weekend against the Perth Glory uh, really well, and uh, they've got uh, $20 tickets for families, and uh, there are a whole heap of promotions to, to go along with it. So uh, let's hope they get a big crowd, but I know they're doing a lot uh, of, of positive stuff uh, on the Central Coast, and uh, and good on them because they are a good team to watch. No, it's fantastic to um, to see. Newcastle haven't made the finals, I think, for the last six or seven seasons, mm. so it'd be great for them to uh, to make it in Central Coast. And uh, that puts a bit of pressure on uh, the Wanderers and, and Victory, who uh, are outside the six at the moment. Whilst we've got you, John, just a, a quick one on uh, expansion. I know you've probably spoken about this ad nauseum over the last few months, but uh, there's there's certainly no direction from the FFA. We had Grigo Rourke on the program uh, a few weeks ago, and, and he said it's on hold for the moment. We have communicated to the clubs that uh, we will expand the league, not this season, but the next 
if they were to stick to that time frame, they'd have to start the process very soon. I'd imagine uh, as soon as this uh, malarkey is sorted out with, with the AGM, then uh, the, the clubs, uh, potential clubs, need to be communicated with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there's no question that we need to build the, foot, the professional footprint in this country. So 10 teams isn't enough to sustain interest. It's not enough to sustain talent. It's not enough to grow talent. So we certainly need to build that. Um, and I, one of the one of the um, perversely perverse positives out of this process is uh, this delay. I mean, there are so many people who are interested in investing in the A League and investing in professional football generally. And Tony, you'd know this as well as anyone. If you go back 10 years, finding people prepared to put money into the sport was impossible. Um, and here we are now with all these other groups putting their hand up to say we're willing to invest. Well, Celtic, um, sorry, John, yeah. um, Celtic have come out and said they're interested in, in you know, maybe purchasing a club as well, which, um, yeah. you know, and they've confirmed that. Yeah, and if you look beyond that, you've got Brisbane City have, in, have expressed a concrete interest yeah, the Tasmanians and not uh, South East Melbourne and a Western Melbourne bid. So none of these consortia, are, you know, guaranteed licences and we'll take each one in on its merits. But we've never had this critical mass of people wanting to invest in in the A-League or in a, a second tier. So that's a huge positive uh, for the game. And so it just means we need to be really considered, uh, really strategic with how we play at the next two to four years to make sure we get the right team, they're well capitalised, and we give them enough time to be successful. Um, you know, Tony and I, we've both been involved in startup clubs, and it's really challenging um, to get that momentum that you need and sustain it. It's great at the start and all that, all the rest of it, but to be able to sustain the momentum and sustain the investment and sustain the energy is the challenge. And the longer you've got, the longer leading you've got, the deeper you can build your ties with your community. Community. Uh, the more time you can spend getting the right staff, the more time you can spend building the right squad. So, you know, the more time these clubs are given, the better. Just before we let you go, one of the uh, my big bugbears at the moment is that we we're all too focused on um, the, what's happening this week and yesterday and tomorrow, and and, and we're not looking uh, far too far ahead. And, and there are obvious reasons for that because there's a lot of uncertainty. But what I think's been highlighted this year is the fact that uh, many of our clubs are playing in the wrong stadiums, and uh, there are multiple reasons for that. Uh, do you think uh, the FFA? Uh, and the clubs are doing enough to lobby government for better stadiums and better stadium deals in this country. I think that's one of the areas we really need to, to focus on for the long term. Yeah, look, I, I don't personally have visibility on what work's happening in you know, the lobbying you're talking about, so it's hard for me to comment specifically on what work's being done. But I think more broadly your point is well made, is that we need, in order for this league to be sustainable for the next 10, 20, 30 years, we need to find infrastructure that leverages the benefits of football. And that's twofold. One is having a suitable playing surface, uh, a playing surface that isn't compromised, which tends to happen in multi-purpose facilities. And the other one is leveraging uh, the energy and atmosphere that only football crowds can provide. And until we have those two things working hand in glove, you'd always putting yourself at a disadvantage you're not, or you're not playing to your strengths as a coach because you can't see a beautiful passing game if the pitch is bumpy because Paul McCartney played a couple of shows there last week or monster trucks um, were on them just before the soccer yeah, rose yeah, that's right monster trucks were on awesome you know rugby union guys were 
doing a practice on the night before, mm. you can't leverage the aesthetic quality of the sport. And then the other part of it is the fan experience. You cannot generate a great fan experience if you're one of 14,000 in a 52,000 seat stadium. So we need to, <laughs> we need to start working toward um, that infrastructure model that plays to our strengths. And that's a huge job. And I don't know if it started, but it certainly needs to be a priority for the game. And then the next part of that is individual club infrastructure, making sure training venues are appropriate, making sure uh, youth academies can be run out of the same facility, making sure there's W League facilities that are up to scratch. So the whole, it's a huge job. It is, it is huge. And um, I think we're going to run out of time. So you got one more? Yeah, I've got one more. Um, John. Um, have you had much complaints from the players regarding VAR? Yeah, we actually, um, the timing wasn't great because we, we, I'd always had earmarked to do a survey at round eight to get a sense of how it's going. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you can appreciate, <laughs> wasn't the a good players yeah. wasn't overwhelmingly supportive, to be honest. I think, you know, I think they were pretty damning on, you know, a couple of key questions. Um you know, they did come back. You know, the questions we asked them was, do they think it's improved the league? Um, do they have confidence in the VAR as it stands? And, you know, what's more important to them? Was it the getting every mistake, every decision right or letting the game flow? And, you know, as you'd anticipate, you know, they wanted, they wanted to see the game, game flow and not have these stops. Um, but they also, at this stage, they don't have the confidence and they don't have the sense that it's improving... Um, the the the, um, the spectacle of the matches. So we'll recheck that again in in eight weeks and see whether that's come in a bit. You know, because you know, change is always difficult. But I, I think the uh, I think it's self evident that as it stands now, it's not working, and it's going to take a lot of either adjustment from the public to accept it, or the actual process itself needs to change in order for it to gain acceptance. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it's the process that's uh, broken at the moment. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Insightful, uh, interesting and uh, brilliant to listen to, uh, as always. Uh, John, good luck tomorrow at the EGM. Yeah, thank you, guys. All the very best. John Didelitzer, the boss of the PFA, here on the Football Bosses. FNR, Football Nation Radio. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR Football Nation Radio. Welcome back to the Football Bosses here on FNR. Michael Zapponi, Tony Pinata with you. Tony, uh, before we wrap it up uh, for this one, um, there's been a lot of conjecture about the use of the VAR. We spoke to Johnny Dudelitzer, we heard his views on it. Uh, I did. I did speak to Ben Wilson. Uh, uh, yesterday, and uh, we have spoken to him on this program, and uh, there's been uh, a lot of people saying that uh, we should just scrap it, get rid of it. It's not working, uh, but the FFA have very committed to it and, and want to keep it here for, for for the rest of the season. Yeah, well, you know, Ben told us a few weeks ago that uh, you know FIFA are trialling it. Uh, May the trial ends at the end of uh, this uh, A League season for us, and then FIFA will decide whether they're going to continue on with it, whether they're going to bring it to the World Cup. My feeling is it's here to stay um, because imagine the uproar 
if a decision goes against a team winning a, a final or winning a, a cutthroat game, um, I think the implementation, and Ben admitted that, that that is what's lacking at the moment. Referees aren't confident. Um, the VAR referees aren't confident in making these decisions. So I think it was a lot seamless last season. Uh, the last few weeks has been terrible and it's causing a lot of angst out there and uh, a lot of social media around about just scrapping it. But I don't think the answer is scrapping it. I think it's uh, about working, continuing, the referees, educating them on, on when to use it, how to use it and making sure that the right result um, for the good of the game uh, ends up. It, it is disrupting the flow of the game at the moment and that's one of the key things that uh, uh, they've said that they want to avoid when, when they first inter- in- introduced it. Yeah, well, it's taken like four minutes. I mean, we saw the incident with um, Avram um, and, yep, and Matty Simon. Um, the referee missed it. They went back to VAR. They saw it. He saw it on the screen. Red card, right decision. Um, okay, it took four minutes, but in the end, it was uh, was the right decision. They need to streamline that process. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean Ben Garucho, same thing. Good decision in the end. It was the right decision. Yep. Uh, the Chris Beath missed, missed it. Mm. Uh, he, he awarded a yellow card. He handed out a yellow card initially. They mm. looked at it on the VAR uh, and said, no, that's not a yellow card challenge. That's a red card challenge. Straight off. But yep. There were two other incidents in that game which were hugely controversial. The Baba Diawara offside decision when he was offside, the ball was played uh, towards Ryan Kiddo. Yep. Diawara made a play for the ball. In an might offside have, position. Might have touched it, might not have touched it, but he was in an offside position. So interfering with play, Kiddo finishes it, scores the goal. Now, uh, Ben Wilson did say to me yesterday that uh, they got that one wrong. The VAR got that one wrong, and uh, they'll you know, obviously try and ensure that doesn't happen again. But that, that is concerning, that uh, everyone at the ground can see the replay, can see he's offside, and then the video assistant referee didn't make that call. Well, I think the decision by the VAR has to be that it was... Um, clearly wrong. Clearly wrong. Um, and that's, that's But it was. Thing. Everyone watched yeah. the replay. Well, look at, look at Barcelona. Messi's goal. It yeah. was in by about, you know, yeah. a foot. And they, they. And this is this is my problem with it. We're taking a bit of the, the romance out of the game. We're taking a bit of debate, you know, at the pub or at the coffee shop yeah. for the next day out of the game. And uh, perhaps we stick to goal line technology in the future and, uh, and leave everything else up to the discretion of the, res- the referee. He'll get some wrong. He'll get some right. Uh, and that's part of the beauty of uh, human error. And it's, yeah... You can have a lot of say. I mean, imagine if um, they had VAR in 66 with um, Jeff Hunt. Uh, who knows? You know, we, we're still talking about that. Um, so, but I think it's, uh, I think FIFA will, will keep it. I think they'll introduce it for the World Cup. You think it'll happen at the World Cup? Yep, I th- definitely, mm. definitely. And um, let's see how that, that plays out because, um, you know, CDR have it. La Liga don't have it, EPL don't have it. Um, we're one of the few countries that have um, sort of started the, the process. So give it some time, change. I know people hate change. Um, let's work on the referees and the implementation and the VAR referees as well. And uh, hopefully this week we have a, a good, clean um, round of um, games. No red cards, no VAR. Talk about. Let's just talk about football. That's what we love. Yeah, and they, they do need to improve the process. Let's hope they've uh, learned from uh, some of their mistakes. Uh, thanks again, Tony, and uh, we'll do it all again next week. Pleasure. You're listening to, uh, you've been listening to the Football Bosses, Michael Zapponi, Tony Pignata. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye for now.
Four Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR Football Nation Radio.